So if you have Bibles, go ahead and turn to, let me think which one I want to do first. Let's do John chapter 11 first. John 11, and let's pray. Father, I ask for your Holy Spirit's help, not just for me as I speak, but also, God, for us as we process and, and listen. Would you give us hearts that are hungry for you? Would you open our eyes to see you clearly? Would you open our ears to hear you clearly? Would you open our minds to understand, to see from your perspective? Pray it in Jesus' name. Today is 11-11, and I could not help myself, had to preach on John chapter 11 on 11-11. Had to do it. Is it 11-11? Bam! So good. So good. Thank you. Ah. It's 11-11 on 11-11, and I'm preaching on John 11-11. So good. So good. Now you're going to see 11-11 on the clock. You might even see it twice a day. All right. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus, sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So, verse 5, although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. That's a highlight circle, underlined verse. Although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he delayed. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going to go there again? So Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, this is the verse, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, check it out, verse 15, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you really will believe. If I give you the smooth sailing you want, you don't actually get faith. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, well, let's go too and die with Jesus. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people from uh, Jerusalem had... I'm sorry, let me see if I get this right. And many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. By the way, that's 11.22. That's 1.122. So when you see 11.22 on the clock, it's the Father saying to you, ask whatever. Even now I know that God will give you whatever you, whatever you ask. Oh, I should say, this is the private conversational language the Lord has developed with me. So if he wants to make 1.122 mean something else for you, go for it. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yeah, but. This is a yeah, but. Martha's got a yeah, but for Jesus. Yeah, he'll rise when everyone else rises at the last day, says Martha. And then Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying, and everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who's come into the world from God. And then she went back and told Mary, the teacher's here and wants to see you. So Mary went to him. Jesus stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And when the people who were at the house coming, consoling Mary, saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to go to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, same thing. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He said, or he asked them. And they told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? I love verse 38. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. Isn't that interesting? It's this anger in Jesus. I I love that. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha... The dead man's sister protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. And then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. That's a funny sentence. Come on, you got to admit it. His hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth, and Jesus told them, Unwrap him and let him go. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do, they asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Caiaphas, the high priest at the time, said, You don't know what you're talking about. Don't you realize it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed? And he didn't say this on his own. As high priest at that time... 
he was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation. In other words, he said it meaning one thing, but the Holy Spirit meant something else. And not only for that nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. So from that time, from that time, from Lazarus come forth, and he does, from that time, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. And as a result, Jesus, listen to this, stopped his public ministry among the people and left Jerusalem. He went to a place near the wilderness to the villages of Ephraim where he stayed there with his disciples. You know, what's interesting is later we find out that they decided to kill Lazarus too because he is like evidence that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, this happened for the glory of God. The people saw it and they said, and God got glory. They saw Lazarus and said, God, and, and God got glory. And, but he loved, he loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. One of the questions that scholars debate is why is Jesus angry and why is Jesus weeping? I remember when Dan Moeller was here, he talked about, we, we, we interpret his tears to be tears of sadness for Lazarus. And Dan said, that can't be. He knew he would raise Lazarus. That was never in question with Jesus. He intentionally let him die so that he could raise him, so that the disciples would get the, the illusions, the veil over their, that's over their mind lifted so that they would no longer fear death and so that their trust in him and their awareness of what the kingdom really entails would receive a huge upgrade that it could never receive if he doesn't allow them to go through this. Go ahead and flip over to Luke chapter 24. I just think, you know, sometimes we work so hard to avoid difficult things that the Lord's leading us into. And sometimes, in the midst of difficult things, we lose sight of truth so, so thoroughly because of the grief of our hearts that the Lord himself is alone in his perspective in the scene. Jesus is the only one in the whole scene who has a, who has a handle on truth. In John 11, the only one in the whole scene who has a handle on truth. The disciples have good intentions. Even, even, even Thomas has great intentions. He doesn't believe, but he's definitely willing to die. <laughs> and that's saying something, but it's only Jesus. Not even, not even sweet Mary in the moment understands. And not even the disciples who Jesus just said, I'm going, he's dead. I'm going to wake him up. But they're still going, I don't know about all that. I find it interesting. The anger. What is the anger at? I think the anger. I actually agree with Dan Moeller. I think the anger of Jesus is the anger at the level of unbelief. The level of, of incapacity in human hearts to believe because of what sin and death has done to us. I think he's angry at, at what sin and death have so corrupted in our perspective. That, that anger rises up in Jesus and it's like, get out of the way. Have you ever had anger propel you to set things right? That's Jesus going after death right there. Why? To get... See, Lazarus wasn't in hell, right? Why bring him back? For the glory of God. Was he, was he raised for his sake? Did he want to come back? I've often thought about that. A few more years of temptation and taxes. I don't know. 
I think he probably did want to come back. He probably said, I have some un- unfinished assignments. I have some, I, you know, what's interesting is, you know how you've had several, I've heard, you know, this story of certain people when they, they actually, inc- they cross that line and they get to the third heaven and, and they're sent back. Oftentimes they're sent back to finish something that they haven't finished. Heard of a prophet who was told, for all you've done, you've not yet learned to love. You've seen countless healed, you've delivered incredible prophetic words, you've, you've, you've shaped the course of nations, you've released, you've, you've done all this incredible stuff, but you've not learned to love. Get back there and learn to love. Oh, that guy shook. He, shook. he met Jesus, he shook. He shook in his heart, like he trembled to the core. He, he repented thoroughly. And I don't mean in the like, modern sense of change your mind, I mean in the classical sense of like, have mercy on me, help, what in the world? Like he felt... Like, I don't know anything. I've, I've been operating in all this, this power and all these gifts and the greatest is love and I've missed the greatest thing. It's like the I'm sorry Jesus was so big in him. So I don't, I don't, I don't think Lazarus was like, oh no, he's sending me back. I suspect Lazarus came back with purpose. I don't think his life was suddenly easier than before. <laughs> if we could just see this, our life would be easier than before. Okay, Luke 24, verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. They've lost everything. They gave up everything to follow Jesus. And, and they believed he was the Messiah. And they, they, they saw the miracles. They saw the signs. They heard the teaching. They felt the anointing. They participated in the coming of the kingdom. They had been endorsed. They had been trained. And then he died he failed. He was hung on a tree. It's, the, it's like the, the, you're cursed if you hang on a tree. This is not supposed to happen. The Messiah is supposed to rule. The Messiah is supposed to take his throne in Jerusalem and all the nations are sovereignly supposed to be made to bow down and submit to the glory of, the, of Yahweh when the Messiah comes. The gold of the nations is supposed to stream in. The honor of the nations is supposed to stream in. The justice is supposed to flow down from the one who is anointed to, to, to the whole world. The kingdom is supposed to come when, G, when the Messiah comes. And instead, he's rejected and he is killed. He is shamed. He is flogged. He is stripped. They put a sign above him that makes fun of him. And then he dies. And then and on the same night, we're scattered. So the, like every, all hope is gone. So they're, they're leaving. Why stay in Jerusalem? So they're on their way out. When hope is gone, you flee Jerusalem, you go back to do whatever it was you did to make a living before. So they're going to Emmaus because it's over. So as they're walking, they're talking. They're talking about everything that had happened. At verse 15, look at this. As they talked and discussed these things, as they're in conversation about their heartbreak, their heartache, their disappointment, their, their dead hopes, as they're talking about all that has gone wrong, all the loss. Look what it says. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing it was him. That's the next verse. 
So true to life. As you're walking through your season of grief, as you're, you're mining the pain and you're consoling each other and you're trying to understand what has just gone wrong, the spirit drops in. And so often we don't even recognize it. So often hope, the very thing that we think we've lost, is already here, but we don't see it. And what's crazy about this, verse 16, is that God, we know God reveals. I wonder sometimes if we know God conceals. Why would he hide? Jesus presents himself as though he's not Jesus. He hides. Look at this amazing story. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? Why? Why ask the question, Lord? Why not just say, I'm back! Bam! He is investigating their hearts and taking his precious time to do it. They get all the way to Emmaus before the divine wink happens and their eyes are opened. What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stop short, sadness written across their faces. And then this is like, like you could tell they're almost insulted and irritated. And this response by Cleopas feels like an insult, but it's funny to me. You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here the last few days. Do you like irony? That's called irony. Again, the only person in all Jerusalem who has a handle on truth, on what's real, on what's really happening and why. You must be the only person where you live under a rock. Are you Patrick Starr? What things, Jesus asked, do you love these questions? I love these questions. Man, what if, so we should compile a file just of questions the Lord asks in scripture. I feel like his questions are so penetrating. We talked about this on Thursday. Here comes God in the cool of the day after they've eaten the fruit and he says, where are you? That's pure, that's a, that goes deep. That question goes real deep. Where are you? Who told you you were naked? So here he says, what are you discussing so intently? They explain a little. Oh, you don't know about, the, you're the only one who doesn't know. What things? Why? He could just give them the answers. Why doesn't Jesus just give them the answers? Well, that'd be very unlike Jesus, wouldn't it? Why does he always teach in parables? He'd rather send you on a journey of discovery and growth and development and relationship. He'd rather send you... He's, he's more interested in faith growing in you than beliefs being formed. Beliefs and faith are not the same thing. Lots of people are certain and mean. And lots of people know Jesus and are kind. 
I love these questions. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders, they handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. Look at verse 21. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. We had hoped. We had hoped. Man, incredible restraint. Wouldn't compassion just rise up in you and you'd be like, it's me! Apparently not if you're Jesus. Because his response doesn't look very kind. Look what he says. Well, let's finish. Then some women from our group of his followers read his tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see and sure enough, his body was gone just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. Again, they still don't know it's Jesus. Some stranger is just rebuking them and then giving them an uninvited Bible study. You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. This is very similar to the anger that rises up in him at the tomb. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And if you look carefully through what he told them, he told them clearly, I'm going to die. You remember what Peter said when he said that the first time? Stop talking foolishness. You know, I, like I hear, like Peter was like, that's not the power of positive thinking, Jesus. Let's get that out of your unrenewed mindset. You're speaking death over yourself, and it's going to happen because you said it now. You've got to learn how to speak life. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. This is the call on my life and yours. You're going to be shocked when God's will happens to you if you thought that the plan was resurrection without death. All along the call was to shine in the midst of a dark world. Not be so protected nothing ever touches you. I taught you all over the place. You're going to suffer, you're going to suffer, you're going to suffer. I'm going to suffer first. And that's going to empower you by seeing what God does with me. You're going to be enabled and empowered to walk straight in to what faithfulness will require of you, to what love will require of you, to what covenant will require of you in a world gone mad like this one. If this is how they treat love in a world like this, this is how they'll treat you as you become love. Count on it. Amazing. They still don't know it's Jesus. It's just a stranger who's very insistent that they're wrong and foolish and unbelieving. By this time, they were nearing... Oh, I didn't even finish. Wasn't it clearly predicted that Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from the scriptures the things concerning himself. Let's do a little Bible study while we're walking and talking. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of the journey. So Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, oh, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them, and as they sat down to eat, look at this, he took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it. Every single time he ever has a meal, that's what he does, those four things. Took, blessed, broke, gave. Took, blessed, broke, 
gave. Why? Because that's the shape of his life and that's the shape of our life. We are chosen. We are blessed. We are broken. We are given. And instantly their eyes were open and they recognized it was him and he (gasps) disappears. (laughs) How disappointing, yeah. At least give us a hug. And then they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Remember when they were talking about the heartache, about the loss, about the pain, about the disappointment, and he came, but they didn't recognize him? Now they're retroactively going back and going, wait a minute, my heart knew something my mind didn't know. My heart sensed something that my mind wasn't fully aware of yet. And this is why we're going here today. Gateway, we are walking through times where it is so easy to let grief overwhelm us to the point of disorientation. And then we can lose the truth, the perspective which is true, which is God's led us to this point. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're going through. But if Jesus is in the midst, there's a perspective that he can give us where we can, in fact, step over and the eyes be opened. And there's just, I don't, I, don't, I don't even know all why I resonate with this story, but just even this morning reading Luke 24, they were discussing all that had happened, and all of a sudden it says Jesus showed up while they were having this conversation, and I just burst forth weeping. What could be better than that, right? In the middle of the conversation of us saying, I don't understand. I just need to understand. He shows up. He begins to talk. He begins to brood. But we don't recognize it's him. It takes God to reveal God, but sometimes God hides on purpose to test our faith. Sometimes God allows us to not see something. I don't fully understand this story. I feel like if I try to tidy it up and explain it, I'm not helping. I don't fully understand the John 11 story. But I know that Mary and Martha know theologically that Jesus is the resurrection and life, but they don't walk in it personally. And I'm not mad at them. Oh, my word, that's an overwhelming situation. That's, ter- that's so totally overwhelming. I'm not mad at them. But these things weren't written because they needed to hear it again. They were written for us. Amen. There are some circumstances in which we're so overwhelmed with grief to the point of death because we don't see what he sees. And there are some circumstances where he enters in and weeps with us. Sometimes it's the same season that he'll do both. Both correct and address the unbelief and comfort and encourage. But he always brings life. I'm going to pray and then we're going to do a baptism and that's going to be fun. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We invite you. We know you don't do things according to our agenda or our plan. We know that prayer is not a way to manipulate you but rather to open ourselves to you. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes the way you opened those disciples on the Emmaus Road? And would you call us out? Would you call us out who are in some ways asleep? Stuff in our lives that like Lazarus has fallen asleep or to be blunt, has died. I'm asking Holy Spirit for you to wake us up And I'm asking for you to equip us to remove the grave clothes from each other. To see this kingdom clearly.
Exactly what, what we heard from, from um, I think it was Brian said this this morning. To not live by circumstances, but by truth. And Jesus, you're the only one who has that perspective, so we need you to share it with us. We invite you, God, to be speaking. We give you permission to not just be the kind, gentle Jesus, but actually the stern Jesus who brings words of correction to us. I guess we don't need to give you permission for that, but I guess maybe what we're saying is we're willing. We're willing to hear. We're willing to hear this part of your perspective is wrong. Come up a little higher. Holy Spirit, we know you're present even when we don't feel you. We know you're speaking even when we don't hear you. And God, I know you're also sneaky. It seems like the most inappropriate time to be sneaky when your kids are heartbroken like that, and yet you were. So move. Move on us, God. Move on us, God. Is there any uh, word from the Lord this morning? We weren't even living here. We had come up from Florida to visit, and you had done a message. I was, Stan and I were just talking about this. Um, it's probably been 10 years ago, and you said, you said um, your test will become your testimony. And I don't know, you were probably 10 or 11, and he and Cody said, I heard what Tim said, but I know that our mess will become our message. And so then Stan had gotten a word, you know, Jesus saying that he's in the midst of our messes. Mm. So I came back over after worship and just sitting here and while you were talking, because I have, you know, I've grieved for, you know, the life that we used to have and where we used to live and friendships that I don't have anymore. And and God keeps saying, you know, you got to keep your eyes forward. And I keep getting that message but today he was just showing me, he's like, Linda, I'm in this mess, but I'm not, I'm not working it out for you. I'm here because I need you to figure this out. And it's not just a word for me. I know there's a lot of us that are you know, going through different struggles, different losses or, or fears. But he keeps showing me that he is there. He hasn't left. And you, know, you can know this here. Sometimes it's just hard here in our heart to remember. And so many times you just want him to fix it. But he's saying, I have, I have faith in you, <laughs> that you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna walk through this. I'm here. I'm in this mess. I'm not leaving. And I want your eyes to be open. I want them to see what I see. And that, that's, that's my desire. Is not just for me and my family, but for all of us, that we would open our eyes and we would see that he is in the midst of any of the messes that we have going on. But he loves us enough to know that we can't grow if he keeps fixing everything for us when he's given us the tools and the words that we need to just continue to keep our eyes on him and say, okay, this next step, I don't, I don't see it, I don't understand it, but I'm stepping. Notice that Jesus shows up while they're in the middle of talking about it. You know I'm a big believer in this, like, we don't stuff our pain. We don't dump our pain, which is just like let our pain drive us to just express carnal anger and shortness and meanness with people around us. We have, to, we have to sow our tears. So we find good people who are friends, authentic friends, and we share. And I just find it so curious. It's as they're discussing these things and going, ugh, I don't get it. That's when Jesus shows up and starts to talk. 
I think sometimes part of the reason we don't recognize it's Jesus is because it happens through people we know so well that we don't think of them as being the mouth of God. They're just our friend. It's not so loud. It's not so spiritual. It doesn't come with goosebumps all the time. It's not... It's just so common and so natural that it doesn't even feel supernatural. I'm actually working really hard in this season to fly under the radar when I feel like I'm giving a word from the Lord. Dial way down and not try to prophesy. Because if it's really the Lord talking, it's not the prophet who should be the one who recognizes that. It's the recipient. Chris Valentin says, it's not my words that make it prophetic. It's the Lord putting grace on my words. 